Hi, welcome to Moves That Matters. I am, of course, your host, Dr. Clyde Posley, and I'm looking forward to a powerful broadcast today. Let me start by thanking each of you for tuning in tonight. And as you are beginning to understand, I hope, the currency for watching this show, the price of admission, is that you just hit share. I'm asking you to share, hit the share button and invite other people to be into the blessing that is blessing you. I'm looking forward to resuming our, our show tonight, our topic tonight, which is seven reasons why racism works in America. Seven reasons why racism works in America. But before I do that, I want to remind you to go out and buy my book on Amazon.com or you can purchase my book at my website, DrClydePosley.com. And the title is More Than Icons and Images, Uncovering the Hidden Protest Narrative of the Black American Athlete in the 21st Century. I believe the book's a good read. I've toiled over it. I've, I've, it's had some serious uh, provable research. And it brings up some notions uh, that are not being discussed today, as well as it engages in some of the conversations that are going on today. Uh, I talk about a black athlete and his business practices and why they are important as he displays his political voice. Um, I'm also going to be writing a second edition. And in that second edition, I'm going to discuss this topic uh, relative to Jay-Z and the NFL. And, and my thoughts about that in that second edition. There's much to be discussed, but I want you to start by going out and purchasing the book, More Than Icons and Images, Uncovering the Hidden Protest Narrative of the Black American Athlete. And by the way, I also discuss Kaepernick in the book. Looking forward to you grabbing that book. I'm going to be right back and get straight into point number two, reason number two, why racism still works in America. You do not want to miss the boldness with which I speak in just a moment. I'll be right back. All right, we are back, and I am ready to continue this series entitled Seven Reasons Why Racism Works in America. Please note, I did not say these are the seven reasons why racism works in America. I am choosing seven reasons that we need to grapple with so that we can discuss amongst ourselves in, pub, in academia, in public settings, in our churches, around the dinner table, why racism is, is prevailing. And we can also, in the process, check to see if we are helping it to increase. We are working against its increase. We need to see where we are situated relative to this evil presence that still remains vibrant in America. So, uh, reason number two why racism still works in America is because the black image is still allowed to be condemned, commodified, and uh, corrupted. The black image is still allowed to be condemned, commodified, and corrupted. Dr. Posley, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. In order for one of the components that has helped racism continue to abide and thrive over 400 years in America is that to promote racism, there had to be the, the, an establishment among white supremacist and racist people that, 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 
there is a culture that is less than us and we should dominate them. And in dominating them, we will, from point one, be create a lucrative industry for ourselves. But we will also be able to establish the premise, the one of the foundational truths uh, to, to help us create racism or promote racism. And that is that brownness is less than whiteness. That brown skin is less than whiteness and not just less than whiteness. Those who are purveyors of racism from 1619 and beyond and, 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 and moving forward and those as well as those who are purveyors of racism today only are able to do so because they push an evil lying narrative that says people of color are evil, wicked, uh, uh, abased as a people, violent, dangerous, and must be contained. I don't, I, I could start anywhere talking about this, but, but w- one of the concepts we need to understand, and this is true, and this is re- researchable reality, that the police department that has evolved that, that we know today, that in many instances is so brutal and, and not all instances, not all instances, but the police, many of the violent police that we know of today, are are perpetuating a narrative that speaks back to why police exist in America in the first place. And the and the notion of policing in America, which was derived from the concepts of policing in Scotland Yard in Scotland, was was brought to America because of uh the need among slave owners and slave masters on plantations to police black people to police their slaves. I, I, I'm just being, I'm being straightened to the point here. If you, if you, if you watch the death of an officer today, you will hear, uh, Scottish rights and you will see Scottish, uh, um, decorum and you will see them going back to their Scottish roots. That's because police departments, as we know them today, find their roots in the Scotland Yard and the concept of policing and why policing was would be done the way it would be done, was born in Scotland and was brought over for the express purpose. I'm not saying that's the only reason that we have police today. I'm saying that the notions of policing was set up to control black people. Control black people. So when you hear Donald Trump making his statements about how we were being too nice to people who are often ending up dead in the backseat of a car or dead in lockup, or Sandra Brown, or dead um, uh, uh, because they be, uh, because they had a weapon, or because they someone feared for their lives. Donald Trump is promoting a narrative that he knows uh, uh, that police, in many instances, p- the police departments are filled with individuals who are per- perpetuating a narrative that it is right, acceptable, okay, to mistreat. Blackness. Now, let me say something very, very quickly here. I I cannot tell you how many times I've been stopped by a by a policeman and not given a ticket and not. I was just stopped the other day for making a wrong turn, which was thus an illegal turn. And a white officer was right behind me, stopped me, asked me that I know I shouldn't turn there. I told him I did not because the arrow is confusing around the roundabout. This police officer asked me for my license asked me for my registration, uh, and uh, he, he had a discussion with me about the about that. 
He told me, look, here's your license. Here's your registration. Uh, I, I do believe you. I do believe that, that you didn't understand this. There's no need for me to give you a ticket. You live in this area. Just understand that this roundabout is this way. Now, for those who quickly want to say, well, yeah, that's you, but such and such got killed. I understand that. But I could have gotten killed or I could have been into an altercation. The way the officer handled that altercation, the white officer handled that altercation with me as a black man was was proper. So I am not saying that all, the, the, all police departments are bad. I'm not saying all police officers are bad. I'm not even saying that the dominant number of police officers, the majority of police officers are wrong. I'm saying there's probably a minuscule amount of, of police officers who are vile and wretched and have uh, evil intentions, and that's why they do their job. But it exists. The problem is only one murder a one wrong killing can happen because of the black male image uh, issue that some uh, black some police officers have, and that's one whole family that is devastated. One death. Eric Garner was choked to death, and his whole family has been upended. Two deaths rel- rel- relative to the stress and the strain of his death have occurred in his family. So one death because of the mistreatment of the black male and his image can result in a multiplicity of, of years of pain and ways of, that pain manifests itself. So let me talk about this number two, because as long as the black male image is condemned, is commodified, and is co- and, 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 uh, con- uh, controlled, we're going to have a caveat for a place for racism to keep going. What do you mean by condemn? In a, in a 2010 book, uh, Gabron Khalil Muhammad, a professor at Harvard University, a black brother, wrote a book entitled The Condemnation of Blackness. And in this Condemnation of Blackness book, he notions that, that years, years and centuries of, of seeing blackness or the uh, or treating blackness as in and of itself as a corrupt uh, component of human experience has led to years and years of ensuing racism that that that, that feels it's okay. See, C. Uh, 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 Vine Woodard, who wrote a book entitled "The Strange Career of Jim Crow," talks about that Jim Crow didn't just wake up one day. Blackface didn't just wake up one day. The image of blackness. And the manipulation of it didn't just occur. There's been years and years in, of, of what to do with blackness or non-whiteness that people have grappled with in, on American soil for years. Uh, uh, one author uh, talks about Joseph Clatterball wrote, and I, I quoted this in my book as well as in my dissertation. Joseph Clatterball quoted that for over 350 years, being black in on American soil has up in its own nature, just being here and being black on American soil has been a socio-political issue. It's not a social-political issue that blacks have made it, but what to do with the skin of the people you oppress, what to do with uh, the notion in your mind that it's okay to oppress people whose skin looks different than yours makes it a social-political issue. And so, therefore, to be black is to be thrust into the social-political issues of America, whether you want to participate or not. Teach Dr. Polder. I'm trying to do it. 
whether you can claim you don't want to vote, you can claim you don't get involved in politics and be a black person. You can claim that you ain't got time for all that barbershop talk and all that stuff on Fox or all that stuff on MSNBC. But the truth of the matter is, if you are black or brown in America, you have been thrust into a social political debate all because of your skin. And there are notions about who and what you are and whether or not you are still three fifths of a person or one third of a person or whether or not you're just the N word or uppity N word. You've been thrust into that conversation, whether you like it or not. So we've got we got to figure out. You need to understand that there are some people who condemn you just because you are black. And there are whites in America who need to accept the fact that they have different ideas about a person upon laying eyes on them because their skin is different than theirs. You, there, there are some whites, uh, not all, there are some whites who believe that if you're in a store, if you work at a store and a black person walks in, they should be followed. Because chances are they're going to steal. There are people who, who, who see you in a grocery store and assume because you are checking the, the, the texture of an apple or the density of a, 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 a cantaloupe or you are looking to see how fresh the salary is, celery is, you are actually getting ready to eat that celery without paying for it. Or you're going to try to steal that because of your, your skin color. And so what we've got to do is find a way to come to grips with the fact that there are some people who believe that your skin color disqualifies you from equality. I said we got to find a way to stop letting racism stop us from believing that a person's skin color disqualifies them from equality. Uh, there's another author, uh, 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 Earl Ofari Hutchinson. Earl O'Farry Hutchinson wrote a book entitled The Assassination of the Black Male Image in 1996. The Assassination of the Black Male Image in 1996. Why would anybody think that they need to assassinate the black male image? Fear. 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 What to do with the black male image? I did a commercial for my book, and in that book, I talked about the black male image has been grappled with for years, while many people assume that whiteness is just pristine, to be white and to be European, to be a Caucasian, which is actually not even a nationality. Can I just tell you something real quick? Uh, the notion of, a, of Caucasians is, is, is a misnomer. The idea, th there was a scientist in, in the late uh, 1700s, Dr. Brown, he came up with the notion an idea of Caucasians in a lab one day while looking out his window in Germany, he looked over and, 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 and he worked up against uh, out the window, the Caucasus mountains of West Germany. And, and so he decided, and he, as he was establishing race classes of people to call people who, who, uh, who, who, who traditionally have blonde hair and blue eyes, the most purest of the Caucasus mountains he named this race of people that he was classifying rapes, uh, uh, races, Caucasians after the Caucasus Mountains. There is no such thing as a Caucasian as, as it was. That's just the name of it. He was, he was, he was establishing, Dr. Brown was establishing classes of people, Polynesians, uh, 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 Anglos, and all, and he decided to call the Anglos 
Caucasians having been named after the Caucasus Mountain. The Caucasus Mountains were considered to be the most purest, the most pristine, having the greatest water flow, having the greatest greenery. And so he established in his mind what he thought the best to be, he being a blonde-haired, blue-eyed scientist himself, ironically named Brown. That'll catch up, catch up with some of you before you leave. Uh, he decided to name the most pristine of the mountains after the Anglos that looked like him. Black male image is not only being condemned and treated harshly, but it's, it's also been commodified. What does it mean to commodify an image? Lynching, as we know it today, according to Ida B. Wells in her writings, The Southern Lynchings, Lynching was not just designed, not, not only gruesome, not only designed to be a painful death, but they could have lynched a person by dragging them on a horse. They could have broken the neck of the person whose neck would eventually be broken by hanging. Ida B. Wells suggests that there was a commodification that was using this as a commodity to send a message to the people. That's the reason they needed to find a high branch, pull the person up high, let the person, let the black male image that they were lynching be seen among all as a representation of our control over blackness. It wasn't just enough to kill them. Let's hang them high and make them a public spectacle. Ida B. Wells suggested they would then often cut off genitalia, cut off the the penis of the male, cut off the testicles of the male, cut off fingers, cut off pieces of the ear to be able to say not only that they were at this, but that they could take a piece of this controlled black image home to be able to tell their children, look at what we did to this N-word. The black male image. I'm telling you today that racism continues to be a purveyor because there are people who still look at, when they see the black male image, they engage in their mind. There are pathogens in their brain that have set up habits of thinking in, in, the, in the way they approach black, black people. And that is, they are bad. He's black. He's Latino. He's not white. They are bad. They are not good. This is evil. And this is how one of the ways that racism is able to prevail. They continue to, uh, uh, those who are into racism can, uh, continue to condemn because of color, commodify, and then they, and, and then, and there's further commodification. There, uh, part of what's wrong, uh, in, um, the sports world today is there are athletes of color who are finally waking up to the power that they have. And there are owners who have decided and if, uh, uh, that you will not, we will not have the quote inmates running the asylum. A Houston owner said this out loud. He said a couple of years ago that we cannot uh, uh, relative to NFL players uh, trying to get more of a bigger chunk of the, uh, uh, the money that's being made. Uh, the Houston owner literally said, we cannot have in inmates running the asylum, referring to the black athletes as inmates. Donald Sterling, former owner of the, of the Los Angeles Clippers, was ousted from the NBA 
specifically for, for making racist comments about black players. The notion that somehow black players are just commodities is them being commodified. And, and don't get in your head that because they sign a $50 million, $100 million contract, that somehow they don't have the right to complain about bad treatment. Because let me explain something to you. If I'm making $50 billion, I don't mind giving you $100 million. Ain't nobody saying nothing. Somebody ought to put a man right there and hit a whole bunch of likes. If, if I have 50, if I'm making, and I didn't say I have 50 billion, I'm saying just that one season, I'm making billions. I don't mind a payroll of $200 million if I made 11 or 12 billion that year. There's a reason why you do not see, uh, black owners in the NFL. There's a reason you don't see black owners in Major League Baseball. There's a reason why you see very uh, just one, possibly two, owners in the NBA. Yet the NBA is flooded with black players. The NFL is flooded with black players. The, the, the Major League Baseball is flooded with black players and Latino players and Dominican players. How is it that none of these guys, very few of them ever rise to ownership? It is an intention. It is intentional among many, among the good old boy system, like Jerry Jones, to keep a separation between the ultra-haves and the ultra-have-nots. And as long as we, the ultra-haves can control the ultra-have-nots and keep it in balance, racism can work. In many instances, what many, many NFL owners or NBA owners are, are actually saying is, look, shut up. You got your family's got more money, uh, and, and Laura Ingleham actually said that to LeBron James. Look, just shut up and dribble, just shut up and play basketball. Don't have a voice. Don't talk. Why? Because you're a commodity. You're not a controller. You're a commodity. You don't make the money. We give you the money. We dictate what you can make. How dare anybody ever tell? That's why it's so important for me to foot my bill here. That's why it's so important for me. Uh, to, 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 to have sources that pay, that do not, that have the power to control. I say what I want. It's based on truth. Nobody will dictate what I have to say. I'm not going to lie on this show. I'm not going to be racist on this show. I'm not going to be oppressive on this show, but I am going to say what I need to say on this show. As a theologian who desire, who, who, who considers himself, at least to some degree, a scholar, there, there is a, a intersectionality between the sociological truths of our age and theological principles. And I am going to say them on this show and I won't be controlled in the process. Speaking of control, racism is able to, uh, continue its, its, its evil march today because there are, there are the black male image or the African American image is easily controlled. It, 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 it has become an acceptable social practice for a, uh, for black males to come up dead at a police stop. And we have a president who has not one time addressed this issue. He sees people like Ferguson. He sees people fighting for rights, 
like the squad, if you will, uh, these four uh, Congress women of color as in, in, instigators and interrupters to his process. That's what George Wallace used to call them, instigators and corruptors. Donald Trump sees any anything, any statement antithetical to what he believes as disloyalty to the process, to him and to the process of white supremacy. He has called himself a white nationalist. He has been endorsed and accepted endorsements by David Duke. David Duke was just on an interview yesterday saying it is clear, I want to make clear to the country that Donald Trump would not be president without what our people, meaning the KKK, have done to get him elected. It is except so 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 Donald Trump is anti anything that fights against this march of racist policies. Uh, Donald Trump just said just this morning uh, that uh, he, he quoted Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler said that. The Jews are disloyal. Donald Trump just said today that um, anybody anti him is disloyal. Black people, the, the congresspersons, are disloyal. Can I tell you something? Donald Trump is seeking to control blackness, people of color, in the same way Adolf Hitler did. Because he himself holds to the tenets of Adolf Hitler. Donald Trump just decreed just this morning he took the ban off of how long immigrant families can be incarcerated, can be in, in, in these sales, which in itself prolongs how long their families can be separated. Who does that except someone who is seeking to create excruciating pain in families? His motives are evil. His policies are evil. His speech, his rhetoric is evil. And with all of his, his motives, his policies, and his speech, he is seeking to control that which is not white. He doesn't say a word against all of these 251 school shootings. And if I'm not mistaken, all but I think a couple of them, a few of them, have been done by young white Males. I want you to think about that. Uh, uh, someone just mentioned to me today how Donald Trump has called uh, to, uh, Congressman uh, Hale, uh one, one of the young congressmen after her uh, uh, conference this morning, after a press conference this morning, he said that she was dangerous, out of control, and reckless, or violent. That is Donald Trump trying to put a place a narrative on this person that he hopes one of the persons like the shooter in Texas, El Paso or Dayton would latch on to and try to kill this young woman. He's trying to control blackness. I'm getting ready to get out of here, y'all. But I need to tell y'all something. Racism thrives on controlling, condemning, and commodifying the black image. As long as people who are racist treat people oppressively because of the color of their skin, keep back economic opportunities, control, call the police on them for barbecuing, call the police on them for riding a bike, call the police. Oh, it's, 
people do that because they they believe that there's a network of 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 dissension and oppression that works through white racism, white supremacy, uh, works through evil rhetoric from the president, works through evil when in the police departments, and they know they can call into that network and the group will get together. And with all of the uh, federal judges that are being put on benches who, who, who feel just as Donald Trump did, for example, like the one that said that, uh, that the fellow who was indicted, uh, 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 well, on Trump's team was a nice guy. All of this is a part of a system. And until we decide to not just know it's happening, but start to talk about it, have discussions about it and speak up. I know there's some good, great, uh, uh, white people who are, uh, into social justice. There are good, good, good and great black people into social justice. Latinos, Mexicans fighting for justice, fighting for freedom, fighting against oppression. It's not enough to just be, uh, to not, to think that racism shouldn't happen. You gotta take some steps to do something about it. And in that, you'll start to make stronger moves that matter. Look, I'm your host, Dr. Clyde Posey. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Remember to hit share, and I will see you next week. God bless your heart.